Good morning, Wellspring Church. Is this, am I holding this correctly? Okay. My name's Debbie Brashears. You all know my son, TJ, and my daughter-in-law, Stacy. I think. <laughs> I'm a new member to Wellspring Church. Um, I retired about two and a half years ago um, in California and then moved to Oahu. I wanted to spend, um, to share my experience with caregiving as part of the Meant for Good series. Um, before retiring, I was a full-time dental hygienist for 40-plus years. Aside from my career, I was caregiving for my mother-in-law from 1994 to 2001, my husband from 2003 to um, 2019, my mom from uh, uh, 2014 to 2017. And yes, there were times when I was caregiving for two people at once. My mother-in-law and my mom moved in with us during that time. Medical issues consisted of, for the three of them, Multiple strokes, diabetes, cancer, emphysema, COPD, leukemia, leg amputation, and wound care. Uh, Six-way heart bypass, gallbladder perforation. So there was a lot going on. Once we had a trip to the ER one night, um, I had my mom and my husband both in the ER at the same time, bouncing back and forth from one bay to the other, and thank you to TJ for helping me with that. At one point, I went to my pastor for advice. After telling him my caregiving woes, he said, apparently, you feel that you are in charge. He said, God is in charge, and you are here to help, and that's all. I immediately felt a load off of my shoulders, a load of stress and feeling of failure, left. I know now that God put me here to be a caregiver. I also know that I could not have accomplished my tax, task without God guiding me. This is all, this was all meant for good. And that's my story. Um, please rejoice with me, and you can all repeat the bold words that will be up behind me, I guess. No? Okay, rejoice with me. I have waited and can say I have seen God at work. Today I can say that although I have been through much difficulty, God has worked it for good. That's it. I'll just... So my, I just want to start with a disclaimer that I'm, I think I'm still jet lagged from coming back from a trip this week. And so if I say anything that's kind of weird or off base, I'm going to blame it on the jet lag, okay? <laughs> so we are back here at church. Um, Nathan and I have been away for the past two weeks. Um, and it's so good to be here and to see everybody's faces again. We really miss you when we're away. And in fact, we were able to live stream from Germany for the last two Sunday services. So that was kind of cool to be able to, to see that. So anyway, we, Nathan and I went to Germany. We also got to see a little bit of Colmar, France and Switzerland. 
and we went for the purpose of taking our daughter Jensen to drop her off for a four-month study abroad in in Germany. And I have to say, it, it was beautiful, but never have I been on the move so much in so many different ways. I mean, I was calculating there were like 33 hours total on the plane. Um, and of course, I lost track of time, but we were on trains and trams and buses and Ubers and taxis and even uh, those, those gondola things, those vernaculars, and a lot on foot. And it was a journey for us. Um, and the event, that journey eventually ended with us saying goodbye and leaving um, Jensen there in, in Freiburg. And so I have to say, with that experience, I was, it was like my heart was being ripped out, even though it's only four months. Keith, I don't know how you and Amy do it, <laughs> with Sachi being in Japan and saying goodbye each time, but um, I think that's a sign of good parenting, that you can release them. So I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> so I'm already digressing here, but anyway, so I just want to show you a, a couple of these pictures from where we are at, so you can see that it was a, a great trip. We discovered the beauty of France and Switzerland and Germany, and I think you can see an old friend that met us, Pastor Dale met us. <laughs> and we totally love the, the old town feel um, that we experienced. And I, I ate a lot. I got to eat a lot. So we can show some more of the slides. There we go. I ate a lot. Nathan ate a lot. So, yeah, so we met up with Pastor Dale. Yep, see all these pictures of him eating, so. Um, so, yes, we met up with Pastor Dale for a bit, which was nice, and he showed us how to get lost on the subways. <laughs> um, we had trials getting along, navigating the city, but we managed, and it was truly a journey. And looking back, I think I would have packed far less, so my suitcase would have been one less, I would have started my Duolingo app to learn German earlier. <laughs> I would have eaten far more pastries and drank many more cappuccinos. Um, however, with all of that said, looking back, I do appreciate being able to come home and get behind the wheel of my own car and be in control, although I do commend those Europeans for their sustainability and efficiency efforts. Okay, so all that to say, after the journey, I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do, because hindsight is 20-20, right? Speaking of hindsight, this year for our Lenten series, as Pastor Rebecca mentioned, we are looking at Joseph's story, starting at the end. And his story is quite appropriate, it's very relevant, and it's meaningful, because Joseph here is viewed as a type of Christ having come way before the Christ child, but very much always being in the presence of God, working to serve and unify people, helping to sustain the house of Israel. Much of the things that Jesus experienced with the exception of the crucifixion was similar to Joseph's life. There's a lot of overlap. Now, sometimes we start at the end because it's, a better way to gauge how far we've come, how long the journey has been. And I think we heard from Deb Debbie about just, um, you know, her story, being able to look back 
And then just to explain with the crosses, you know, there's some significance here as you see the different colors. And each week there'll be a different color added to just represent the coat that Joseph wore with many colors on it. Okay, so, so this is our second story. But we get to see looking back how far we've come, how long the journey has been, how much we've had to endure, really how much God loves us. And as we've begun the season of Lent, where we've journeyed the 40 days with Jesus, living his last days and making his way to the cross where death would be imminent, Joseph is someone from the Old Testament whose story and hardship like Jesus reveals that in the end, from the beginning and through the middle, God meant it for good. Over the next four weeks leading up to Easter, we'll look at parts of Joseph's life closely to discern and discover how it is God meant it for good. Because honestly, life doesn't always feel that way, especially when we're in the middle of the mess. Often feeling like God has walked away, or maybe he never even showed up. Perhaps the ending feels really unfair. And I encourage you, if that's the case with you, to continue to call out to God because the story probably isn't finished yet. The story has taken you to what feels like a dead end, but it's not. Journeys of transformation and good discoveries, they take time with God at work in our lives. And our scripture passage today is one verse, and I hope by the end of the series in the several weeks, you'll be able to commit it to memory. This promise is real. Genesis 50:20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So how about we read it together? It's a really short verse, right? Okay, so on the count of three, nice and clear and loud. One, two, three. Intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What God intends for us personally, it also impacts those around us. In Joseph's case, many lives are saved, as will be revealed in the coming weeks. What I hope for today that would be most helpful, though, is just to tell you a little bit about Joseph and also talk about why he was able to get to the other side of the wall to look back and realize that God had always been there for him and with him that whole time, even though it seemed like he wasn't at times. So we start with some hopefully helpful facts, and I think if you have your bulletin, you'll be able to see things I jotted down, if you're not familiar already with Joseph's story. And so Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob and Rachel. He was, his mom and dad were Jacob and Rachel. And he was born into a pretty dysfunctional family, which would make him normal, right? <laughs> he was also the favorite child of Jacob which would make him like really unliked by his siblings. And at 17, as Jacob grew in this family, he would have a dream 
about being a great leader. And I'm totally paraphrasing here because I don't want to spoil it for the coming weeks. But being 17, Joseph still had a lot to learn too as he, I think, played on that favoritism to his advantage, saying that he had this dream and he was going to be this great leader. People were going to bow down to him. And so you can imagine his brothers disliked, maybe even hated him for that. And so one day his brothers, they seized this opportunity to get rid of him. And while they planned to kill him initially, they settled on selling him to become a slave to a Midianite trader that was en route to Egypt. But to explain his absence to their father, his brothers then took this beautiful coat of many colors that his dad had given him and they put some goat's blood on it so that it would look like Jacob had been killed. And they took it back to the father who was devastated. And in the meantime, Joseph becomes his personal servant of Potiphar. And he earns great respect doing it until he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. And because she, he wouldn't respond to her advances, she falsely accuses him and then he gets put in jail. He eventually gets out, though, because he has this ability to interpret dreams. And one of the most important dreams that he began or was able to foresee was this famine that was coming. And he was able to warn Potiphar and help prepare for the famine that would have wiped out a nation. And it was during the famine that Joseph was approached by his brothers again. This is years later. And they had no idea that they were speaking to Joseph. And Joseph is able to be kind. Joseph is able to save his brothers. Joseph is able to reunite with his dad and with his brothers. Joseph was able to forgive his brothers for their wrongdoing. And it says, and he says in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He's able to say that looking back. So I don't know about you, but I think my heart would have been pretty hardened after all of that. And while there was good reason for Joseph to become bitter and vengeful and reactive, instead, God transformed him to respond with love and kindness and compassion. Hindsight is 2020. If I had to summarize it, I'd say Joseph's story his journey. It's a story about rescue. It's a story about redemption, which is consistent with the God that we love, who rescues and redeems us. I mentioned that there are parallels between Joseph and Jesus's life. And I read an article when I was preparing for this where they mentioned about 60 similarities between Joseph and Jesus, but I'm only going to mention a few here. Um, so while Jesus would have would be born, my math, I'm not strong in math. So uh, while Jesus would be born, so I think 600 years later, is that about right? Okay. Both were selfless, and both served throughout their whole life. Both began ministry at age 30. Both had fathers who loved them. Both were shepherds of different kinds of flocks. Both foretold their future as leaders. Both were plotted against to be killed. Both were stripped of their clothes. Both were sold. 
both were delivered? Both had to face many walls during their lifetime. So what do I mean when I talk about a wall? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> okay, the horrible things that happen to Joseph are considered walls. Being sold into slavery, thrown into jail when you didn't do anything wrong, having to endure a famine, it's kind of like a pandemic, I guess, reuniting with his brothers after all that time. And if you've been um, in taking our emotionally healthy spirituality class that's now ongoing, we just learned about what it's like to journey through the wall, I think just past, this past week. And so we come to our first teaching point, which is the wall is where God waits and wails and walks through the dark with us. God waits and wails and walks through the dark with us. And EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, refers to it as the dark night of the soul. And everyone has and everyone will encounter it more than once in your life, sorry to say. And you can reach the wall and decide, I'm just going to stay on the same side. I'm not going to push through it. But the problem with that is that you'll just keep cycling back and find yourself in the same situations or responding the same way and not necessarily finding any resolution, most especially not necessarily drawing closer to God and probably to others. In order to become mature followers of Christ and with each other, we have to go through the wall. And so there's this chart I just want to put up. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But you could call this a point in your life faith journey when you get to the wall. And so these are just stages of faith. And this is actually in our EHS class. But, you know, you start out in stage one and two. And we, get, we have this new life. We have a relationship with Jesus. And we begin this formative work of discipleship and learning all about what it means to live and follow Christ. And we start to serve. And we're in stage three actively engaged and worshiping. And as we're doing all of this, we're managing our lives, right? We have personal development. We have family. We have work. We have school. We have church. We have friends. Wow, and then something happens. It could be a life-changing event. It could be loss, maybe, of a loved one or something important to you. It could be changes in your financial situation that are devastating. It could be a physical or mental illness. It could be a pandemic. It could be something that triggers you because you have accumulated a lot of painful experiences like unhealthy relationships and it's finally leaking out and affecting how you do life. As you journey inward, a crisis of faith happens and you find yourself at the wall. And in order to continue on to receiving this transformative love that God has to offer, you have to move through the wall so you can journey outward again. Journeying outward means that you begin to understand that your identity is grounded in Christ. When you make it through the wall, your existence, your service, it comes from a different place. It comes from a place of understanding God's deep love and care for you. 
It's not something that you feel obligated to, but in a sense, it's a huge lifestyle change. And here's where I want to just pause to talk a little bit about the bad stuff, the evil, right? And who causes it. Evil exists. It is out there, but not because of God. God does not cause the bad stuff to happen, and yet God is no stranger to the hardship caused by the bad stuff. God calls us to the wall to work through the turmoil. He waits patiently for us to choose to deal with our pains. He waits to cry with us, sometimes that good, ugly cry, the wail. And for sure, for sure, God will walk with us through that wall. We accomplish this together, this going through the wall, by naming the problem. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's laziness, maybe it's envy, maybe it's greed, maybe it's avoidance, maybe it's unforgiveness. It's an endless list. Joseph himself had a lot to learn about humility and compassion when he first bragged about his dreams to his father and his brothers. His lessons and transformation, it did not come overnight. Walls take time to get through. But as we go through it, one sign of progress is recognizing and acknowledging that we are broken people. And something mysterious about the Holy Spirit that we will never fully understand is at work. Waiting isn't so bad as we take time to grow into our new self, one that is detached more from the worldly and the fleshly and instead devoted to God. We begin to live differently, free and accepted, and all for Jesus. By the time Joseph was reunited with Jacob and his brothers, he had gone through many walls. He had learned humility and compassion he was able to forgive the unforgivable. I invite you to think and reflect. What walls have you faced? Or is God asking you to face now? If you have been at the wall, how did you know you hit the wall? What helped you to get through it? Or perhaps your story is not over and you're still at the wall. Just know that God is there to, to meet you and to journey through it with you if you decide to choose in. Okay, really quick, pause. Can everybody just, if you're able, stand? Okay, and reach up, reach up and stomp your feet. Okay, turn to your neighbor and just nod hello. Okay. And then you can have a seat again. And I do this because I, don't, I think, I can't even remember where I learned it, but I learned about this like 18 minute or something, some TED Talk rule about people start not paying attention to you. <laughs> so I want you to pay attention. <laughs> So, okay, where were we? We're walking through the wall, and that means talking about it. It means talking about it, and it means 
being willing to feel all the junk stuff that comes with it, and I recognize that it is really hard. It is really hard to be raw and open when we are hurt. Some of us do it better than others. Last week, Pastor Yumiko shared her own personal story, which I encourage you to go back and listen to if you missed it. It's accessible through our website. I think many of us, me included, could relate to her story, could feel her pain, could understand her process. She was bravely vulnerable to say that it is hard and painful, and that her story isn't finished yet. She has hope that she can fully embrace Genesis 50:20 one day, but for now. She has hope, and that is enough. That's enough to keep moving through her wall. And I want to take a moment to acknowledge that the sad and sobering reality that many are reluctant and have even stopped coming to church is because it is the church that has hurt them the most. Maybe there's still a relationship with God. But never mind belonging to a church community. Many of you found your way here to Wellspring for this very reason. And each of the pastors here, we want to acknowledge that deeply painful wounding, and to say that we are so sorry that that has happened. Whether you're here for one time, for a visit, or for a season, or indefinitely. We invite you to consider this as a place for mending, and we know that God is the ultimate mender. But we are here to try to do our best to walk beside you and to listen and to hopefully help restore some faith that you once had in belonging to an actual church family. I found my way here to Wellspring almost 17 years ago as a last resort church. The church that I had belonged to for eight years prior, where I loved the people, I loved the pastors, and felt so embraced as a family, one day was no longer there. When my husband at the time and I decided we were going to divorce, and when I told our lead pastor, he was so offended that I had not asked him for permission first. And his words were, "If you get divorced, I am no longer your pastor." Knowing that I had always struggled with my father because I had I had been trying to really open up and share what my pains were, that got used against me when he said I obviously had not done enough work on my issues with my dad. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been so disrespectful to our lead pastor in sharing my news. This, after doing all that he told me to do, seeing the therapist he referred me to, who helped me to come to this decision, actually, and knowing my struggles for several years, I stepped away from serving within the church. I knew that I had to do that when I shared that, but I didn't expect sermons and small group sessions to all of a sudden be about the sanctity of marriage and the sin of divorce. I didn't expect friends who I trusted to be like I trusted them so much. I thought about, well, if I die, I think I would want them to raise my children. 
But these same friends started quoting scripture, and there's one in 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 to 23. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obeying, as, as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. And to this day, I cringe when I read that verse. I cringe when I hear it. Application gone wrong, but nonetheless, one of the many reasons for my decision to leave the church that I was at. And it was a huge wall because my children at the time, they loved it there. And they couldn't understand why they couldn't be with their friends anymore. And it was a huge scar that I think my son, who's 23 now, he's still trying to work through his own faith. So divorce, separation from the church, financial struggle that came with divorce, anger and shame from my dad, loss that my kids had to endure. That's a huge wall. And it really was by the grace of God that a couple of friends who wouldn't give up on me, who wouldn't give up on my struggling through what I had to face, those friends said, you can't stop going to church. We'll go with you wherever you want, to however many places you want, but you have to find a new church home. And so when I walked through the doors of Wellspring 17 years ago, I did not intend on staying, but every Sunday I came back and I felt like God met me here. He sat at the wall with me. He gave me space to weep. That's all I did for months during service. He provided space for my children to be cared for by aunties and uncles to love and restore them with some sense of God's goodness in their lives. And it took years. It took emotionally healthy spirituality. It took more therapy. It took people to listen. It took pursuing and persevering to eventually come to a place where I know that God mends and restores and redeems getting through the wall. I was able to say God meant it for good when I started to feel a sense of belonging here at Wellspring. So friends, you know, I'm just going to say it. It was a shitty time. And one of the darkest times of my life, and I almost walked away. And having gone through the wall, it doesn't mean that I still don't get, you know, I'm still not triggered from time to time. And I have to go back and sit at the wall and go through it, but each time, the wall gets smaller and smaller. Because I know that God is right there. He's so accessible to help me, because he helped me through the most formidable one to start. I have different walls now that I'm facing. I was told by someone very respected in our denomination that it's okay to admit, as a pastor, it's okay to admit, admit weariness. And it's okay to admit that with all the hurdles that Wellspring has gone through with our building, and yet another, because we have to move again, right? It feels like sometimes I'm not going to be able to get through another big adjustment. 
of the many that our church has endured. I'm not able to do that and maintain my practice and try to go to seminary and do well and be present to my family and be okay all of the time. I'm at a different wall, and walls don't mean that we can't function or stay in community. Walls don't mean you isolate and stay away. It's quite the contrary. We are even more so in community. As we draw closer and lean more on God and share with trusted individuals these vulnerabilities that keep us from living fully into God's best for you and for me. I think I speak for the entire pastor team. I hope that's okay. <laughs> but when I say that um, we try to share our life with each other, and we try to do our best to be honest and open with each other, we realize um, that that is so necessary for us to be a support and to be able to serve you as best as we can. We also realize that we are at a corporate wall now as we serve and seek wholeness and wellness after what's been a really rough few years you know, since we, we went into the pandemic. So when you show up, I just want you to know this. When you inquire, hey, how are you doing? When you extend your kindness with a smile or a hug, it matters. And it helps us to move through this wall as we continually work towards being and becoming good, healthy shepherds for you. We love and we care for each of you deeply. Ultimately, though, we're all broken people. And as pastors, it is never a burden, always a blessing and a privilege to walk with you, whether a trial or a wall, in celebration and in sadness. Sharing your stories with us, it helps us to know that you are right where you are supposed to be. Joseph trusted God to be with him and to stay the course as we do. Joseph endured with hope as we do. And so your last point today, your teaching point, is hope is knowing that God will finish what God started. Hope is knowing that God will finish what God started. Lenten season always feels like a really dark place, um, at least for me, and in looking back, we know that Jesus was gonna be crucified, he was gonna be rejected, but Joseph's story encourages me. God, in his goodness and his pureness, in his perfection, will always finish what he began. That is a promise. And so we can hold on to hope because of that promise. No matter how high or how wide or how strong or long that wall is that we are going to encounter. So I ask you, where are you during this Lenten season? in knowing yourself, where you're at, in being able to see in yourself what is good and healthy and affirmed by God. And because we are always people in progress, as opposed to a work in progress, we are always people in progress. Consider what are parts of yourself that God meant for good and is inviting you to change.
receive that God meant it for good because God created you for good. In a moment, Pastor Rebecca and Pastor Yumiko will invite you to the communion table as we remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus, whose life and death and resurrection was planned by God out of deep love and for the good of everyone. So let's pray. Mighty and merciful God, a long time ago, a baby named Joseph was born who was destined for greatness. But first he had to endure adversity. He had to be open to mending and equipping and releasing by God. Mending his personal shortcomings of arrogance and being open to waiting to be shaped in his character for leadership and eventually being released to do what you had destined him to do. Father, we know from Joseph's story that it is you and only you who has the strength and gentleness to help us to face ourselves, to let go of the things that we can't control, to face the things that are preventing us from living out the fullness of life with you, to shape us to be more Christ-like. Father, while walls are divisive and isolating, I pray that each person here has courage when needed to face them, knowing that you wait at the wall to wail and to walk through it with us to something good on the other side. Help us to grow our trust and faith in you, especially as we reflect on what that meant for your son. During this Lenten season, as Jesus made his way to the cross, still reaching and ministering and serving and loving people, all the way to his last breath, may we enter into this time of communion humbled and grateful for his life and his sacrifice. Amen.